Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Welcome back, everybody, and Happy New Year. And it's been a crazy year so far. We've been in school maybe about three or four weeks now, and I think I've had about 20 to 25% of each class absent every day. I've, I've never experienced this before. Just COVID's going around like wildfire, and our school has really good mitigation strategies, and our students are pretty good about masks and stuff, but it's just it's spreading like crazy. So I hope you all are staying healthy out there. It should be interesting once it comes time for festival season and performance season, if you have uh, a piece with like a snare solo like I have, and that person happens to be in quarantine that week. Well, I guess we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. It should be interesting. Anyhow, I've, I've been reading a lot of articles recently about what they're calling the Great Resignation. And I think the pandemic has taught us many things, but for a lot of people, it's put a huge spotlight on work-life balance. So where I come from in Northern Virginia, it is not uncommon for someone to drive like an hour and a half to two hours to work one way. And that's just kind of seen as like the norm up there. And during the pandemic, a lot of professions were able to work at home and people started to realize a lot of things like, oh man, I don't have to spend four hours a day in the car and eat junk food on the road because I don't have time to cook and spend all that time away from my family and I could sleep in a little bit more and dress comfortably for work and not have to deal with a constant onslaught of micromanagement. And for a lot of people, it was this huge light bulb moment, like, man, I don't want to go back to what I was doing before. But it's put a, just a huge national focus on what it means to have some good work-life balance. So I really wanted to produce this episode for you and just get some conversations going with some really amazing guests. And when I was thinking about who to bring in for this episode, I was thinking, man, like, I would say most of us band directors probably would say that we're not very good at work-life balance. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a really demanding job. It's a, it's a job that's very demanding on your time. It's very demanding on your memory and your attention skills. So I was trying to think, hmm, all right, I want to invite people who have really successful programs, but who also care deeply about the health and happiness of their family. So it should be noted that none of our guests today uh, claim to be a master of perfect balance. It is always a work in progress, as you'll hear them talk about. And each person handles things just a little bit differently. But I hope their perspectives serve as some encouragement to you. All right, before we get started, you know what time it is. This week's pick is Danza de España by Carol Britton Chambers, published by Carl Fisher. This is a great approachable march in 3-4 that is perfect for your second-year players. We're actually taking this one to assessment with our seventh grade group this year. There are tons of varied articulation patterns and some great antiphonal writing in the band. Let's check it out. Thank you. 
To purchase this piece, check out the show notes or head over to theflyingbaton.com. Well, that's it. It looks like everything's recording okay. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So to kick things off, if you all could just, just one at a time, we'll just introduce just very briefly what your teaching situation is and what your home situation is like. And let's start with Matt. Yeah, I'm a middle school band teacher. I teach uh, six classes a day of all three grade levels in Lexington, Virginia. And I have a wife and two beautiful daughters, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. Awesome. Claire? I teach band and general music in Harrisonburg, Virginia, Harrisonburg High School. Um, I teach the concert band. I teach AP Music Theory. I teach newcomers literacy through music. And I teach piano class. At home, I am married to an amazingly supportive police officer husband. And I have two kids who are eight and five. Hi, I teach a high school band in Broadway, Virginia at Broadway High School. I do have a couple extra classes like applied music, which is music for special learners and AP music theory, but primarily just band classes. At home, I am married to a high school chemistry teacher, and we have two sons who are aged nine and seven. Fabulous. I teach middle school band at Shelburne uh, Middle School in San Virginia. I'm in a co-teaching situation, as is Claire, actually. And we'll talk a little bit about the difference between that and being the solo band director, which I think has a pretty significant impact on, on balance there. But I have a great wife who I've been married to for 14 years, almost 15. And we have a very adorable one-year-old son, which has totally rocked our world. He's our, our little pandemic baby. So that's my, my situation. Probably before we start talking about too much of this, we should probably define what work-life balance is. Because I feel like I hear it thrown around a lot. So does anyone have any particular definitions or things that it means for you in particular? For me, it's been a very personal journey of finding what makes me feel successful at all of those areas. Hmm. So the balance is not balance because I think of balance and I think about that 50-50 scale, right? But balance in work and life means that it's always going to be unequal, but it changes so that I can make sure that I feel successful at work and successful with my family at any given time. That's really good. I like that a lot. And I think there are these other words we can kind of make synonyms with it. I mean, it's almost just making sure that you and your loved ones are are happy with how things are in a way. I mean, mm. so I like success and, and just making sure everyone's happy. And Claire? For me, balance is just setting priorities of when and where I'm doing things. I can't work at home. I can't do it. And I can't be mom at school. So I just have these neat little compartments that work for me. Yeah. And I, I'm still trying to figure figure it out for me. I think I really like Becky's definition, actually, of like feeling successful in both places. Like I knew before we wanted to have kids, like there's a lot of there's a lot of divorce band directors out there and it is it tends to be a demanding job and that that tends to strain relationships, especially when kids are involved. And I was like, all right, so before we go into like having kids, I want to make sure that like I have my priorities lined up. And that's been a kind of a journey to figure out. But I, I think for me personally, like family is the number one most important thing for me. So if it comes to making sacrifices, I, I will tend to sacrifice things for my family. And that isn't the case with everybody. And I pass no judgment. For some people, their job is the most important thing in their life. But I know for me, like the family was number one. So I've had to figure out how to like kind of fit work into that so I could still feel good about both. Kind of like Becky was saying. All right. So Becky, could you weigh in a little bit on teaching middle school versus high school as far as the workload is concerned? Since we have, we typically only have middle school uh, directors on the podcast and now we have a nice mix today. So do you have any thoughts to share about the differences in those? 
Sure. My experience is, I would say, not as typical because my middle school teaching was actually a middle school, high school teaching. So when Mm. I did teach middle school, there were two of us that co-taught from 6th to 12th. So even though it was teaching middle school, I still had that high school load. How we made it work was that my co-teacher really took the lead at the middle school where I took the lead at high school. I can say that from that perspective, the middle school had so many fewer extra things we were really able to do all of our middle school stuff during the day. Other than the concerts that were in the evening, there were no after school or before school commitments that held us at school other than, you know, the lesson planning and things like that. And that's the biggest difference in my mind. Yeah, I, I can definitely echo with that. My, my first high school band gig was actually Harrisonburg High School. There's, we just did a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. We had three band directors at the school, but that we were constantly after school doing musical, marching band, something. And I remember my first winter break, you know, I was home and my wife was like, oh, it's kind of weird having you around. And like, like when she said that, like just something like just clicked with me. I was like, hmm, okay. Like, am I happy with that statement? <laughs> but now, now that I'm all middle school, you know, I think for me, like and a lot of middle school directors help their high school program. So they're involved with just as many things. But I think the big difference for middle school is you can choose to say no. You know, as a high school director, you're not going to be like, all right, guys, I'm having a kid this year. So no marching band. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, you can't do that. But as a middle school director, you can say that. Right. And, and I did. I was like, all right, I'm not I'm not assisting any marching bands. I'll do some judging, but I'm not going to like commit because I want to be home. And high school directors generally don't don't typically have that luxury. If you're teaching both middle school and high school at the same time, I have to think that just makes your workload like way worse. Yeah. <laughs> but at least back it was to interesting. Right, yeah, at least you had a co-teacher at the lower level, though, to help out, which yeah. is pretty cool. All right. So the next question I have on here is, do you guys feel like there are things that you have sacrificed from your personal life or your home life for school? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll jump in. I feel like I have sacrificed so many things from home for school, for work. I have missed special days with my kids. I've missed the first tooth being falling out. I've missed the first time they rode a bike. I've missed so many things because I just physically wasn't here. And I could not do what I do if I didn't have that supportive spouse to take Mm. the lead on all of those things. Because I feel like even if you try not to miss those things, there's just things that because of time, you can't be there for everything. Claire, how about yourself? Absolutely. Both professionally and at home. There are a lot of passions that I want to follow with the discipline, especially with newcomers that I just haven't had time to jump into because I want to be present at home. And same as what Becky was saying. I just, my kid was crying last night because I missed his birthday two years ago. But yes, he was really overtired and super emotional, but they are weird. You don't get whole experiences either place. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to say yes. And I think we all seem to have very supportive spouses, which is so helpful. <laughs> That's really important and just to be a team on on that front. But you have some things that are missed and then you also can't overlook things that maybe didn't happen because you were busy. Like you could have taken a, a little family trip this weekend, but you had this concert, you know, things like that. But yeah, just like, you know, honor bands when, you know, you wake up on a Saturday and, you know, the kids aren't going to see you that whole day and stuff like that. And that's, they know that that's their day that they get to be with you. Usually it's, it's tough to miss those days, but I think especially at the middle school level, kind of like you were saying, there's a little bit more flexibility where if I know there's certain important dates, I can work around those a little bit more easily at the middle school level. I I think it's important to note though, that the way that you choose to frame things to your children is really important. Not that like, I have to miss this. Oh, this is the worst thing in the world. But like, 
I am a professional and I think it's important that when you make a commitment to things, you're instilling that work ethic in your children. Actually, on that note, I had Mitty Hooker on the podcast a little while back and she was talking about her like the only way that she can swing work-life balance in her particular situation, which is like six through 12 band and choir, super demanding. It's like the only way that she could swing that is to like integrate her family into her job. So bring her kids on as many things as possible, events, competitions, trips, things like that. Do you guys tend to find that you are integrating family into your job or do you kind of keep them like as two separate spheres? Totally separate. I was just going to say one little uh, example of this, I guess, would be my daughter Ella rides a bus over to my school at the end of the day when she can instead of getting dropped off at her house or whatever. But she likes, she really looks forward to coming over on jazz band days. We have jazz band after school once a week. And she really enjoys coming over for those because she gets to have a little snack with the kids. And then I'll see her in my office doing artwork and stuff and we'll be playing and she starts like jamming along in the office. So that's a pretty cool little merging. But in general, I do kind of agree with Claire that it's, it's helpful for my brain to just try to kind of keep things separate a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Claire, did you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I would love to. My <laughs> kids know that they get 100% of mommy if mommy is there. And when I'm at school, they expect that. And I can't, I have not wanted to separate that because I think it's really important that I'm present for them at home. And I don't want to delineate a different mom at work and at home. So I, they just don't come. So are you trying to accomplish all of your school stuff before you walk out of the office? Yes. How about you, Becky? I'm more integrated, but I agree with Claire that it's been an issue. My boys are exuberant is a nice way of putting it, energetic. <laughs> so when they do come to school, and since my husband and I both work at the high school, they ride the bus to the high school at the end of the day. If they're in the band room, they are nuts. And so I can't have rehearsal with them there. They will sit and read a book. They love to read. But if there's music going on, they, they won't. And so they're in my space and they're asking questions and they're messing with kids. And so I found that if I have an event, I can't be there by myself with them. Now, my husband uh, does a lot with the band because that's where we met. We met in band. That's how we fell in love. So he helps with all of the marching band competitions. And we've started to have one child come to marching band competitions at a time this past year, which as long as they stay with him and the equipment has been fine. So we're hoping that we can get them a little bit more integrated and become like the band family. But at least while they were really little, it was really difficult. That actually reminds me. So uh, our band did our fall concert uh, back in October. And that was the first concert that my wife brought our one-year-old son to. And I've, I've been doing this little spiel at the beginning of our concerts for a long time about, you know, basically like the, the audience's concert etiquette crash course. And one of the things I mentioned, I was like, hey, generally it's considered impolite to get up in the middle of a piece. But if you have a, a child who's upset, you know, please take them out. But since I've started doing that, I've had way less parents that stay with like a like a crying kid through the whole concert. I have had a couple of those in the past. So that's, that's why I do the spiel now. Um, but anyways, this is the first time that my wife took our son to one of our concerts. And she was probably in the room for maybe one complete piece of music. And I was like, huh. And the next week, our, our high school did their concert. So I was like, okay, so my wife is working. So I am going to take Noah to the high school band concert. And I, I probably saw two pieces out of like the nine pieces that were played. And it's not that like he wasn't crying or upset. He's a, he's a pretty happy kid. But my son talks like nonstop, like he he doesn't <laughs> shut up until he sleeps. Like, so the whole time the band's playing, he's like shouting in the back. He's like, music, dance, woo. And I'm just like, oh, my God, which is very cute. But I was like, so like I would go run him around in the hallway a little bit. 
and then bring him back in the auditorium and he'd sit through like one song and then he would want to get up and start dancing or, you know, <laughs> crazy stuff like that. And it just gave me like a whole lot more sympathy of taking small children to like band events in particular. They're rather unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I asked my wife, I was like, I was like, you know, did, did would you say that you enjoyed the concert? And and she was like, not not really. Like it was it was more work than than enjoyment <laughs> at that point. Something that was cool for, for me too as well, our situation especially when it was just one kid, my wife would actually bring her to school to have lunch with me hmm. almost every day, which was a really cool little thing. And that's, that's, I think that's a little different. Sure. I'm at school and that's where my brain's at, but it's at lunch. So you're kind of trying to get away from things just for 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a neat way. And that really breaks up the day and it doesn't feel nearly as long just to have that 20 minute interaction. And kind of like you were saying, I don't want the kids really in extra schools right now with the germs going around. And so I still try to check in with FaceTime over lunch just to say hi real quick. And that yeah. makes it seem a lot less time than away, actually. Yeah, Kate's brought Noah in for some, we've done like lunch out in the parking lot uh, a couple times this year. Like, especially nice. when I was going to be at school all day and then orchestra practice all evening, she would bring him in for lunch so I could get to see him for at least a little bit of time that day. And that's that's been super helpful. It made me feel like less guilt, I suppose, <laughs> about not being around. Speaking of guilt, do you guys experience guilt for when you're either when you're in school away from home or when you're like doing things with your family and not doing things for school, like, is that like a two-way guilt streak or are, or is, am I the only one who's like kind of in that boat? No, you are not alone. Yeah. If you're a caring individual that loves your job and your family, it's impossible to not have some guilt because <laughs> there's always more things you could be doing on either side. And it's just trying to find where everyone can be happy, yeah. <laughs> including yourself. Yeah. This is a major struggle for me, and I'm a big proponent of therapy. I will tell anybody and everybody that I see a therapist, and we talk a lot about the concept of guilt. He says that this is one of the worst things that you can do to yourself is guilt, and I'm like, well, I'm really good at it. So <laughs> um, we talk a lot about that and the concept of self-compassion and being kind to yourself. And so one of the ways that I try and get around that guilt is by talking to myself as if I was a friend. What would I say to a friend if they were saying, hey, I'm at work, but I really feel like I ought to be at home or I'm at home, but I really feel like I ought to be doing more for my work. And so I talked to it in third person, which might sound crazy, but honestly, that's been one of the few things that has worked to be kind to myself about that, because I think everybody feels it. I love that so much. I find my guilt doesn't creep in unless I have downtime. But if I, like before I go to bed and when I wake up and I'm getting ready, when I'm not actively participating in one of those two things, uh, that's when it's a disaster for me. But when I'm mm. in it, I don't just a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm with you. It usually hits me afterwards. Like, um, like I'll have like three or four days in a row where I'm gone all day, like all morning, all night. And I, I don't get to see Noah at all. And then the next couple of days I'll be with him and he'll be like clung to me like a barnacle, you know? And then, and then it'll hit me. It's like, oh man, like you really miss me. Like. I'm sorry, man. You know, and then it just like hits me like a ton of bricks. But I, I do when, once he gets older and can understand a little bit more, you know, English and concept, big concepts. I do want to kind of talk to him a little bit more work life balance type things with him when he's old enough to understand it. And I think that that will help me out a little bit. Like he may not be happy that if I'm gone for three days or something, but if at least I, we can talk through it, I think that <laughs> makes me feel just a little bit better. Well, here's a question um, I meant to ask earlier and I forgot. Are there certain things that you would like to do in your job 
but you purposely decided not to because of the time and or mental strain that it would cause in your personal life. I'll speak to failing at this. I have been on the side of just choosing to do those things, even though it has affected my personal life. So for right now, I'm actually a second year doctoral student at Boston University, um, trying desperately to get my doctorate. And it was something that I put off for a long time saying, I don't have time for that. I've got kids, I've got school. How in the world could I add that in? And finally, I just had to say, if I don't do it, when am I going to? When is it going to be easier? When the kids are in high school and they have their own activities, is that going to be easier when they're in college and I'm paying for three college tuitions? Is that going to be easier? (laughs) Um, And so finally, I just decided to do it. And it has definitely put a strain. It's, It's been something added that has taken away from my school and it has taken away from my personal life. But like Claire said, I try and talk about it very deliberately with the kids about, I know I'm okay. So now I'm home, but I'm not actually home and I can't play with you because now I have a 20 page paper to write. Um, I have to read these three books before Saturday. And I talk to them about, I'm doing this to become a better student. I'm doing this to become a better mom. I'm doing this to become a better band director. And even though it sucks right now, it will be worth it in the long run. Are you close to finishing your doctorate? I have got four classes, residency, which is a one-week program actually up in Boston, and then my dissertation. So at least two more years. (laughs) Okay. Are you, are you trying to teach college one day? I don't know. It's something that I see as a possibility right now. I love my job so much. I can't really picture doing anything else. I just wanted to become a better teacher and I like school and I like the idea of like getting input on what I ought to be doing. And so I just really wanted this for me. It does open doors professionally, but it wasn't for that reason. Mm. All right, Matt, how about yourself? Have you purposely decided not to do some things at work for you know, because you didn't want to sacrifice the time at home? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if, you know, I really love my students. I enjoy working with them a lot and I always try to do as much as I can for them. So if I was, um, you know, I guess single and had nothing going on, I would probably be staying after school to do lessons and and things like that, just because I'm always looking to do things to help them out. And if I had nothing else on the schedule or, or people I wanted to be with, I would spend more time, I guess, helping them. Claire, how about you? The we're in a, such a unique area of the city with so many students who aren't taking private lessons, and also such a unique position where there's a co-teacher. Really lucky, my co-teacher Daniel Upton just got married, but he doesn't have any kids yet. So a lot of those like <laughs> extras, like I want to do this, I'm like, okay, you do that. I'm not. I think that balance will probably shift some when, if and when they do decide to have children, and my kids are a little bit older, I can do the more staying after things. Little tiny choices, like I don't have to conduct the musical because my colleague can do that. Those little tiny choices. I haven't, I don't think anything really other than my newcomer research has been put on hold at work, but. Yeah. And I'm in the same situation with a co-teacher like yourself. I have been the solo person before and I've been in the co-teaching situation before and the difference in the quality of life is immeasurably better. And it really makes me want everyone to have that co-teaching experience. For so, for so many reasons, like, for example, if I need to, like, take Noah to the doctor in the middle of the day, I don't even need a sub, right? I, I just like, all right, John, you got it. See ya. I'm like, no sub plans. I know that my kids are in good hands and they're going to get whatever our goal is done. And I don't even have to think about it. It's like not even like sub plans is not a stressor that ever enters my mind. But yeah. when I was the solo band director, that was always a nightmare and would prevent me from taking off. Especially when I would like outline in my sub notes in big, bold letters, students should not have their instruments out or be in the instrument storage rooms. And I would come back the next day 
and stuff would be everywhere. You know, and it's like, oh, or I would like leave a test for my kids to do like a paper test and I would come back and it wouldn't be done. And the kid's like, oh, yeah, the sub just put on a movie the whole time. And so like writing cell plans became this like huge stressful thing. And now that I have a co-teacher, it's like that alone is, is just like a huge quality of life increase. And Claire, like you were saying, like just trading off who's doing what after school. As far as like sacrificing things for me, I did used to do private lessons like you, Matt. I used to do free private lessons for two hours every day after school, Monday through Friday. And I wow. did this for probably three years or so. And I hit a point, it's actually at John's first year of teaching, which is like maybe like five years ago. I got to the point where I was like, I, I, this is adding like enough stress, just not having extra time at home that I don't, while it's great for my kids and it was hugely beneficial for my students, I was like, it's, it's kind of wrecking me a little bit. So I'm going to just choose not to do that. If a kid really needs help with something and wants to work on something, we'll schedule like a one-time thing. But just donating an hour or two of my time every day was more than more than I can handle. And I certainly couldn't do it now. Like, that's totally off the table. I also, like, I've always wanted to have a percussion ensemble, but I've, I've not started one at my school yet just because of the time commitment. Although, now that we have Burke Harner at our elementary school, for those uh, listening, so Burke uh, was a middle school band director, a really good one. And he decided to move to our district and become an elementary music teacher uh, for several reasons. But he is a percussionist and helps out with our high school drumline. So he has expressed interest in coming over and doing a percussion ensemble to recruit those kids to join drumline in high school, which I think is a balling idea. So yeah. hopefully we can get that off the ground this year. That'd be that'd be super sweet. Claire or Becky, since you both had co-teachers before, did you have any other perspectives on co-teaching versus not co-teaching as far as workload and balance? I left my previous job. I loved community. I love the students, but now that I'm in the co-teaching situation, aside from making sure that you're really prioritizing communication with your colleague so that you know that no balls are getting dropped and that you're really just utilizing each other's strengths, it's just, it's such a game changer. You can accomplish so much more. 100%. I wish everybody could have one. Yeah. I've been in both situations. And like I said, my first job was six through 12 with a co-teacher full-time. So we just both did everything. It was an amazing way, especially as a new teacher, because, you know, you question everything. And so that was my very first job. You think you know everything, but then you get into it and you realize you know nothing. And so having another person to be like, is this what we do? Should we be doing this? Was so wonderful. I felt like it really aided my development as a young teacher. Then I taught by myself here at Broadway High School for four years, which was definitely different. It was much more lonely, even though I was in a county that had way more band directors and I was way closer to band directors geographically than I had ever been before. I still felt much more alone and it was hard to have everything without somebody just to ask a question to. I'm really lucky in that we were able to create a part-time band position, which is now uh, my co-teacher. Because it's part-time, it's been a lot more transient. So we've had four different people in that job. But my current co-teacher, Candace Flake, is amazing and wonderful. And she does so much for me and for the program. And I think that the biggest thing is everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. And when you have a co-teacher that you really trust, you balance each other out in that. And so you figure out, hey, I'm really not good at this thing, but they are. And so you, like Claire said, communication being the most important thing, I wish everybody could have a co-teacher because it's the best thing in the world. The past five or six years, I've had the high school director come over to do one section of beginning band just because we had so many students involved in the way the schedule was, it, it worked out. And so that's just a little teeny bit of co-teaching, I guess. And that was really, really great just because even just having someone there every day that kind of knows what's going on that you can just 
throw ideas off of is really helpful. And then also they would take the lead, but I tried to be available and I'd pull, pull like, you know, brass out or something like that. And we could do little sectionals or work with a student that's struggling. So flexibly like that's just was really nice this year with our new school schedule. I don't have that anymore, unfortunately. And that's really great for high school recruitment too. If the high school director can come down to the middle school. I know a lot of programs do that. Like the schools are close enough and the schedule works out and it's, it's huge. And, and I think it's really important that the kids see another face. Like you guys are talking about having a different perspective is great. I mean, John and I work really well together, but we disagree on a lot of stuff. And I think it's really healthy that the kids, like the kids see us disagree in real time. You know, like we're not like having it out in the band room. If there's like something serious, we'll go into the office and talk about it alone. But like pedagogical things, like I do things differently than he does. And the kids understand that. And they're like, oh, okay. So like, it could be that multiple people could be right. It could be there's just different ways of doing this. And I think that's really healthy for them. And hopefully we'll encourage them in the future. Like, hey, if you have a band director who's different than us, like that's okay. Like there's lots of different flavors of band director. So they get a little taste of that you know, with us, which is pretty cool. I just want to jump in and, and highlight Harrisburg High School. In the past, we've had like one teacher teaching a class and the other teacher was doing another class at the same time. And this year we have been lucky enough that Daniel is the lead teacher in symphonic band and I'm also in the room. And in concert band, I'm the lead teacher in concert band and he's in the room with us. And it, it has been such a game changer for students. And I just want to highlight that because it's incredible. And I hope that a lot of other programs in the area and just throughout the state can can maximize the opportunity there. I know that some schools are just alone, one teacher there, but like if you can get a second teacher in the room with you, it makes such a big difference. Yeah. And for, for anyone listening outside of Virginia, I'd say in Virginia, it's pretty much the norm that it's one band director per school, unless you're either in a, a very like heavily populated area or your school just happens to have like a large program. But but otherwise, one teacher's the norm. And I, I, this really like kind of hit me when I went to Texas and I had a friend who teaches outside of Austin and he's been hyping me up to like, come, come check out the Texas band scene. So I finally did. And I went over and went and visited for a day and like, it just blew my mind. Like the difference in <laughs> workload for those directors versus like any Virginia band director. And what I mean by that is, is like, I walked in and they have five band directors at this particular school. Their school has several thousand people in it. Right. So they had five full size concert bands, like like full, full size, like every instrument, like it was crazy. And they have, they have like five band directors and each band director taught like one class a day. They taught like their one 90 minute band class that they were in charge of. And the rest of the day was free. And I was like, man, what what are you doing with the with the rest of your day? You know, and he's like, oh, you know, sometimes I pull kids out to listen to them individually. Sometimes I go take a nap on the couch. I'm like, you what? I was like, I was like, are you kidding? He's like, no. And I was like. Wow. So even though they had all these kids, like it, it was not like the level of stress that I see in schools with with one solo person, especially in our in our area, the Shenandoah Valley. There's a lot of people who are doing band and choir or six through 12 band, which adds just so much more preparation time. And it just it really just kind of slapped me in the face a little bit. I was like, wow, I, I wish everyone could have this. <laughs> this would be great. I will say if anyone's program is like growing or on the largish side, I would definitely advocate for communicating with your administration and or school board about adding a position. I've seen some people be successful with that, but they had to ask, you know, so I would encourage people to, to ask and not not be afraid of just throwing it out there. And the, some of the perspectives that, that actually my school uh, uses is we don't want, you know, if we have 60 kids in a class, we don't want one person to be in charge of 60 people, right? Like 
So they kind of use like the numbers perspective to as like kind of a rationale for having that second position in there. So yeah, I just, just as a side note, I would encourage anyone to just ask and see what happens or to say, hey, these other schools have co-directors and they have the same number of kids I do. Could we possibly get a co-director? And I've, I've seen some people be really successful with that. And sometimes they get scoffed at and laughed out of the room. So it kind of depends on your administration. <laughs> but, but I would say if you don't ask, you won't get it. And I realize some of us are very lucky to, to be in that situation. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about hobbies outside of work. Do you guys find that you gravitate to a particular hobby or activity that helps you kind of release your mind from work? Or does family kind of take that spot for you? I've got a really geeky one. All right, hit me, Matt. So this is like, you know, three or four hours a week. I am not all at the same time, but the Madden football game, okay? I am in a league with 31 other real people spread out across the, the country and actually in Canada as well. And so each person is in charge of each NFL team and you trade with each other, you do the draft, you schedule games to play when the schedule comes up. And it's just a really nice way to just kind of veg out and, and relax a little bit three times a week for an hour. And this and, is a the um, video game, Madden? Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a little, there's a little social aspect of it too, to just give me a, another outlet if I need it. Cause all the guys are, you know, chatting on an app and stuff like that. So super geeky, but I do look forward to it. <laughs> How did you get hooked into that? Did you have someone who roped you in or just found it on your own? In high school, excuse me, college, I started messing with that video game specifically, but then when you try to play online, there's all these, you know, you, it's hard to get a good game because you've got like five-year-olds just messing around. And then you've got these idiots that just try to deep bomb every play and go for it every fourth down and don't play by the rules, stuff like that. And so the leagues actually create rules and you have to follow these rules and they're pretty strict with them and stuff like that. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. That's great. Uh, Becky, how about you? I read a lot. That's that's my thing to relax is just reading a good book. I don't have a lot of time for reading fun things lately. So I'm a little bit of an old lady. I like to uh, crochet and do cross stitch when I have time. And I will say my one guilty habit is I watch really terrible reality TV. So after my kids go to bed, I will watch the trashiest reality TV because <laughs> I find that I'm so serious in everything else that I do. I just need something to laugh at and take so unseriously. So that's, I guess, my hobby that I uh, release some steam and don't think too hard about. That's amazing. I garden. That's about it. And I am like, sadly, sadly not supportive of my children who want to help me i'm like please get away from me <laughs> like give me this one thing please i know you love digging here i'll go make you a pile of dirt over there but like, please leave me alone <laughs> that's awesome um i've had to really pare down my hobby since since having having a kid i think my main hobby right now i would say is trying to sneak in a video game when possible and i like really really hard games so if anyone's listening are familiar with like the dark souls series they're games that are known for being like excruciatingly difficult. And I think that's really fun. It's a good challenge for me. And it's like just something different than, than music. You know, it's like you're using your brain in a different way. That's how I got an accidental math minor in college, actually. So, <laughs> so in college, like I was, you know, as a percussionist, your chops don't get tired, right? So, and you tend to join way too many ensembles and you end up practicing like all day. And it's, and the mental strain, I think for me, uh, oftentimes is the subjectivity of music. Like it can always be better. So like you never like finish per se. And so I just like needed to take a class where I could arrive at an answer and be like, I have completed this. <laughs> like 
it is done. It is I totally like, get that. So yeah, so I just kept taking, I took like one math class a semester, like literally just to get my brain off music. And I ended up with a math minor. But yeah, for, so for me personally, like I know some band directors are very happy to eat, sleep and breathe music 24 hours a day. And that is not me. Like my brain gets tired and I need to do something else. Like I don't practice a lot during the school year either. Like when I get home, I'm like, I, I don't want to hear another note. Like I, I have to do like literally anything else that's not play music right now. Do you guys do anything specifically to take care of your physical well-being? That's that's time intensive. I did a lot during the pandemic. I was able to start working out regularly and going on walks all over town, which was so amazing. And I was like, yeah, I can definitely do this. And I could keep doing this. And then school started again. And unfortunately, that's been a sacrifice is I feel like I can do something for myself mentally. I can do something for my family. I can do school. I can do work. I can do all this. But what falls off my plate is the physical health. During pandemic, I fell in love with working out and moving my body. And sometimes I do better than others, especially the days that my husband works. He has to get up at 4.30 and is out the door by 5.15. So like getting a workout in the morning is not really the best option because my kids wake up and they're screaming and they wouldn't hear me if I was working out. So some days I do better than others. But I, I, if I don't move my body for more than three days in a row, it's not good for anyone. So I have to prioritize that. Matt, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm, my wife has really gotten into fitness and, and eating healthy, and it's really inspired me. She does body combat at the local gym and is always looking for better ways to, to cook food where it's delicious and uh, more healthy. And so I've kind of been able to focus a lot on how I've been eating the past couple of years with mm. some success. But again, when I get home, I don't want to take 40 minutes to do a good workout. I'd rather play with the kids. And then by the time they're asleep, I definitely don't feel like it. But what we try to do once it's nice and warm out is at least take one good lap around the neighborhood. We can do that as a family and everyone gets a little exercise, which is great for all of us. Yeah, I actually built like kind of a, a, a gym in my basement during the pandemic because I like lifting weights. And so I, I got a little squat rack and, and some different weights and things. And during the pandemic, like in the beginning of the school year too, like I was pretty good about going down two or three times a week and and working out before school started. But then my son started not sleeping through the night. And then at that point, it's like, I'm going to sleep every possible second. Like, John makes fun of me sometimes because I will roll in like literally one minute before the kids do. And it's like, dude, I'm just trying to salvage as much sleep as I can so we can get through this day. <laughs> it's like, I will get all my work done after school. That is fine. But like, I, I may be rolling in 60 seconds before school starts, um, or at least before the kids come in, at least. So I, I do kind of have like, what I've noticed about myself is if I don't work out about every like five or six days, I will just start getting really angry. Like, and, and what I mean by that is like, like little things that aren't a big deal will have like this huge emotional impact on me. You know, it could be something as innocuous as like, I don't know, some weird behavior thing that a kid does or like I end up being late to something for some reason or like, like any like little thing that normally I'd be like, oh, it's cool. We'll figure it out. Like if I haven't exercised in a while, like I'll get really upset. And when I start to see that happening, it's like, okay, I just need to go to the park and run like several miles. And then afterwards, it's great. And it's like, hey, it's cool. Which makes me wonder sometimes of like, if I have a day at school where I feel like, like kid behavior isn't as good as I want it to be. I wonder sometimes if it's me, you know what I mean? Like if it's like, normally I would just be cool with handling the situation in a calm manner. But like sometimes like I let things get to me just a little too much. So yeah, I, I definitely have that thought sometimes, but I think, yeah, we could probably all take better care of ourselves physically, but you know, when, when the commitments come in, it's easy to let that be the first thing to go and then probably sleep the second thing, right? 
Do you guys have any like sleep quotas you have to get in to feel like a normal human? I don't ever get enough sleep. That's that's the thing that goes like Charlie said. I it's not there. So one thing I wanted to ask about uh, for you guys is uh, where does finding time to maintain your chops on your own instrument fit in to all of this? Well, thankfully, when Claire started the Valley Wind Ensemble a couple of years ago, it gave me motivation to start trying to get my chops back. As a trumpet player, man, I let that go. And I didn't play at all for the first six years of teaching. I just, I didn't have time. And if I, like on the priority list, I didn't even have kids at that point. But on the priority list of teaching and everything, playing myself wasn't on there. After the Valley Wind Ensemble started, it gave me a reason to practice. And I think that's the biggest thing. When I talk to kids about playing after high school, I'm like, you have to find something that gives you a goal. Because if you don't have a goal of like, hey, I've got a concert at this time. And if I don't play this part correctly, it's going to sound bad. I didn't have a rationale for practicing. But once I had an ensemble and then I joined a quintet and so then I had more concerts and more music to practice, I, I'm more likely to prioritize playing in my spare time. I feel like ensembles are so important for that, for all the reasons you just said. I'm in the Rockbridge Symphony. And then we also had a quintet before kids that we said goodbye to when we had kids. But those things, at least it guarantees X number of hours a week of group rehearsal. And then again, more motivation because you're, you're publicly accountable for your playing. So yeah, I think finding an ensemble wherever you're at is really important for keeping your chops up. It's funny that Becky mentioned Valley Wind Ensemble. Outside of Valley Wind Ensemble, I do not play my flute like at all. And I wish I had more opportunities to. But like you were saying, Matt, like, unless you have those ensembles, I'm not just going to pick up my flute and play for 20 minutes for no purpose. I have to have that performance that's kicking my butt to say, pick it up, pick something of yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, I just don't. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like I, I enjoy playing, but I don't like playing for me. So I am also in the Valley Wind Ensemble. And I also play with the Waynesboro Orchestra. And that really makes me like forces me to keep playing and keep practicing. Which is great because I, I do like keeping my skills up, but yeah, I, I, I'm just like you said, Claire, like I, I wouldn't just go practice. Like I need like a specific thing that I'm looking forward to. One of the things that John and I do at the beginning of every school year is about the second or third week of school, we prepare like a full concert for our students and we take a day and we just play for them. And it's like, it could be anything from like, like serious classical music to, you know, a Michael Jackson arrangement. I don't know. We'll just throw a whole bunch of stuff in there and we'll play a bunch of different instruments and stuff. And I think the time I practice the most in the entire year is like the weeks leading up to that. Like I, I have a beautiful five octave marimba, right? And I'm playing it for like, I was playing it for like an, at least an hour a day leading up into that, that concert. And then after that, I don't think I've played it since. <laughs> that was in August, right? I think percussionists have an extra layer of percussion guilt because there are so many different percussion instruments. We feel like we should be good at all of them. And it's like, I'm actually, I, maybe I should see a therapist about some of this, but like, I, I feel like about every couple of days, I feel like guilt for not being better at a particular percussion instrument. Like I was listening to some really great drum set playing yesterday and I'm like, man, I should really practice more drum set. And it's like, wait a second, when does that fit into anything that I'm doing right now? <laughs> yeah. And that's why I like, I guess like a lot of percussionists when they get older, they just specialize in like one instrument because that's, that's all the time that you have. But yeah, I do, I do really enjoy playing in the community groups. It's really great. I would definitely encourage anyone listening to see what kind of community groups you have in your area. You know, our area has a ton of them. Like we have the Valley Wind Ensemble. There's the Rockbridge Symphony. There's Charlottesville Community Band, right? Is that, is that what that's called? I think there's the Stonewall Jackson Brigade Band in Stanton. Is there like a Harrisonburg Rockium Community Band? I think I've heard yes. about that. Yes. And then there's, go ahead. But 
But what I wanted to point out is that we didn't have the Valley Wind Ensemble until Claire put it together. So for people that didn't want a community band that was going to maybe not be a challenge or didn't want an orchestra that didn't fit their instrument, there wasn't really something for band directors to get that. So if you don't have something in your area, you can create it. Just talk to the people around you and say, hey, you want to play something? (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone to contact Claire and ask her about that because it's been hugely successful. I mean, we have like a full concert band. We've got to play at our state conference, which was a great experience. Uh, I love doing that so much. And the, the group is almost entirely, you know, band directors and college professors, which is really great because you're seeing all your friends and colleagues. And I think, uh, you know, in the, in the high school sphere, a lot of high school directors tend to be very competitive with each other. So getting to actually like sit next to that person and play together, I think, is, is a valuable ex- exercise in, in getting along, you know. But yeah, it's just so great. So thank you, Claire, for doing that. It's been really awesome. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. It's why we did it. Well, I've been reading a lot of news articles recently It's talking about the quote, the great resignation and how the pandemic has changed a lot of people's ideas about work and about balance. Do you guys, have you experienced any shifts in your perspective due to the pandemic? Or do you think that your perspectives have been largely unchanged? I would say that if anything, the pandemic gave me a great respect and appreciation for what we do. You know, I've been reading the same articles about the great resignation and people realizing that, you know, if you're overworked and underpaid, go do something else. Right. And I think most teachers could empathize with that. But at the same time, being unable to play in ensembles and direct ensembles gave me this wonderful appreciation for what we are able to do with our kids that other classes just can't. It gave me a renewed love of working with band and Like I said, I can't imagine doing anything else. I'm so happy to be back in school and having my kids play again. And so, yes, we are overworked. We are underpaid, but I still love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same same alley here, but I would just say that it's perhaps made me even more compassionate with where all the kids are coming from individually. So it's a little different take on it. But yeah, just trying to exaggerate the, the, you know, the team or the family aspect of it where we're all there working for a common purpose, I feel like has been kind of a good experience for me. A little bit of reinforcement of that maybe. Yeah. I only, we have marching band and I teach concert band, but all my other classes are very individually based. My piano class, I think it's really taught me to value not so much like, did you get this done today? Are you making progress? But creating a community in the classroom because that community just wasn't there for so long. So just making sure that I intentionally am doing things to grow kids in a socio-emotional way each class and not just focusing on the music aspect of things. And I think for me, I got a little spoiled because my son was born in April of 2020. So, you know, school had just been kind of like canceled for the rest of the year, like three weeks before he was born. And Hmm. I was only planning on taking off like three weeks once he was born. And... I know the the idea of paternity leave is still uh, seem a little bit in its infancy in this country and not available to most people. But I was able to take some some time off and not lose pay. So I was like, yeah, I'll take like maybe two or three weeks off and then I'll get back in the, the classroom. Like, I don't think I could leave my kids for longer than that. And then going through the experience of having a kid and seeing like the strain on my partner and, and just how how much time and how much care they need in the early stages, I was like, man. If we had another kid, how could I not take off like a month and a half or two months? And, and I would have thought that was crazy before, but I was forced to do it because of the pandemic, right? And I got five months at home, essentially, because then we had summer break, right? 
and I and, and it was so great for my like bonding with him. And I feel like him and I's like relationship is a very equal one to my wife's. Obviously, our relationships are uh, a little bit different between her and him and, and and me and him. But I feel like he treats us as equals, and he comes to us both in times of need. And I feel like a lot of that is being able to be home. So. I, I am now a huge advocate for both maternity and paternity leave to, to spend that time building up that relationship and caring for your partner. I had another friend who had a baby the same time we did, and you know she had to have a C-section. And we went to visit like six weeks later, and she still couldn't sit up on her own. And these are things like, you know, especially as a male, I'm like previously not very aware of. And I'm like, oh my God, like, how do we not have more comprehensive maternity leave in this country? Like, well, we don't have any, actually. There's no federally mandated maternity leave at all. And as a teacher, you can take 12 weeks if you have the sick days to get paid for them, which new teachers don't. And it just really like kind of blew my mind as far as like work-life balance. Like that is a major thing that followed by uh, more readily available childcare, but that's another story. But yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My, my thoughts on, on parental leave totally changed because of the pandemic. Yeah. Did, did Becky and Claire, did you guys have any thoughts? Were you guys teaching when you had kids? Did you have any particular thoughts from the pregnant mother perspective and mother of very, very small children perspective? So many thoughts. So many thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, I was teaching when I had both of my sons. Luckily, I was in that situation where I was teaching with a co-teacher. So I didn't have to worry about finding a music sub because the sub that they got me was just like a generic sub. So she sat in the back reading magazines and taking attendance while my co-teacher actually taught all of my classes. And without that, it, it wouldn't have happened. During pregnancy, I was very focused on work because I knew I wouldn't afterwards. So I taught all the way up until I gave birth both times. Went to assessment at nine months pregnant. I wasn't allowed to ride the bus. So my husband had to drive me. That was fun. I, I did all of that. And then taking break, one of the worst parts was, yeah, you could take up to 12 weeks if you have the sick days, right? But since my husband and I worked for the same county, we were told that we had to split that. And mm. that FMLA only covered both of us so that we had to split that time and couldn't take both of us 12 weeks. That was really wow. uh, upsetting. And now if we'd worked for different counties, we both would have gotten 12 weeks. But the way FMLA works, if you work for the same county, it does not give you that. So I think there's drastic reform that's needed there. Um, I found in my time at home that I was definitely not meant to be a stay-at-home parent. I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll love this. And no, I couldn't wait to get back in the classroom. I, I brought the baby when I wasn't even supposed to and be like, hey, can I teach here? Andrew, just hold the baby. This is my co-teacher. I said, just hold the baby. I'm just going to go teach band just for a little bit. Just give me an hour. I found that I was itching to go back to work and not meant to be stay at home at all. But yeah, I think that it's really tough teaching and being pregnant. And it's really tough teaching and having a baby because you miss so much. That's funny that you say that you were ready to go back because I absolutely felt that way also. I took eight weeks of maternity leave with my first and six with my second. Uh, I was just ready to be back. I needed that consistent schedule. Granted, my, I was the opposite of you, Becky. My husband took three months both times. I was home with both my kids and, and he had a better relationship. But Charlie, you're talking about that. He had a better, closer relationship to my kids than I did. I was insane planning and we were very lucky that everything fit into my plan. I'm pretty sure like I decided that I wanted to get pregnant. We conceived the next day, both times. And so we were really lucky with that. No problems with infertility or anything, no challenges. But so I knew that I wanted this window and I had both my kids within a 15 day window of time that I had planned very meticulously <laughs> so that um, I could maximize winter break and then come back at the start of the new year. But yeah, I'm just not meant to be a stay-at-home mom. I feel that as well. 
I'm not a good person if I don't have that constant, like people talk about decision-making fatigue. I get fatigue, not making decisions. <laughs> yeah. My wife used to be a full-time art teacher and she has stopped doing that for a while and she has a couple other part-time jobs now. And so we, the way we structure things now is she's at home with him while I'm teaching at school. But then on the weekend, she goes to work and then I watch him full time. And that has been really eye opening to me of how much work it really is to be a stay at home parent. I know it was some amount of work. I didn't realize like it's like, man, eight hours went by. I haven't taken a shower yet. Did I eat today? Like, it's like it's, it is just a whole it's like a whole nother another level. I just have infinitely more respect for that. I feel tremendously lucky that, you know, we were able to have a parent at home. Not everyone gets to have that. And, you know, we all seem to have really supportive partners. And it just made me think, man, like anyone doing this job by themselves, like I just I just really feel for them and how difficult, you know, that must be, especially if someone's single and has kids that they're sharing. You know, I know that's got to be really tough. I grew up in a divorce house and it was constantly ping ponging between parents, you know. So, yeah, I just I just really feel for that, too. All right. Well, that's most of the topics that I have written down to talk about. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add or throw in there? One thing that's really nice, like kind of goes back to co-teaching a little bit, I guess, but my wife is a licensed band teacher and she had her own program at two different parts of Virginia prior to having kids and staying home with them. And so obviously she is not there in the classroom co-teaching with me, but I absolutely asked for advice on things because she definitely knew what she was doing and had great programs. And, and I got a lot, I get a lot of great advice from, from her at home too. So shout out to Christy. I just wanted to say thank you, Charlie, for bringing up this topic of work-life balance and acknowledging all the different ways that it can take, because I think it's so important for people to realize that they're not alone in it. It's really easy to feel like we're alone in our situations. And I think just hearing that, like when you asked me to do this, I was like, well, man, I can tell you how I fail at work-life balance. I don't know that I can tell anybody how I do it well. But I decided to, to agree to talk to you because I figured maybe somebody else needs to know that I'm failing too. And so I just appreciate you making this public. That was definitely my thought too. It was like, oh, really? Me? <laughs> I don't know. I'll just say what works for me the best I can and go from there. You know, when I was putting this together, I was like, man, I, I don't know very many band directors who would say that they're really good at it. You know, and I was try trying to think of who to invite. I was like, I don't, I don't really know if any of us feel great about it. I think it's it's like kind of a work in progress for all of us. So I was like, so yes. I want to invite people who I know have really banging programs, who I know really value their family, and we'll just talk and see what happens. And this has been great. You guys have just provided some really great perspectives. It's been such a fun conversation. I do have three questions I ask everyone who comes on the show. And Matt, I've actually already had you on the show, so I'm not going to ask you this time. So question number one, and we'll start with Becky. Do you have a mentor shout out? Mentor shout out. Yes. When I was first starting teaching, Karen Doyle and Mindy Hooker took me under their wings and Lisa Pullen and really helped me out with just everything that I was doing. And so I am so thankful to them for, for always being there to ask questions to you. And other than that, my band directors in North Carolina, Matt Henley and Bob Buckner have always been there, even though I've graduated 16 years ago, and they are always there for me to ask a question too. So I appreciate them very much. And Claire? Uh -huh. Where do you even start? Um, <laughs> this is a stressful question. A super <laughs> big shout out to Christine Willard, who was my fifth grade band teacher who like taught me how to play the flute and showed me that you can be a mom and a band director and stay married. And I mean, I guess that's where it starts. 
And it's so many people in between. Amy Birdsong, who was the first person that I saw like killing it as a high school band director with a family. And then Daniel Upton, because he pushes me to be better every day. All right, question number two. I will go back to Becky. What is your favorite band piece? Oh, yikes. Or favorite band piece right now, you know. I don't actually have one. It's something funny. I, I don't keep specific pieces in mind. I love lyrical pieces of music. So if I had to say one right now, Travis Cross's pieces have always spoken to me very well. And the way he uses melodies, I really love. And he makes it technically difficult, but at the same time, beautiful. So I would say anything by Travis Cross. I do not have a favorite either. I've had to pick one to work with a band, Jumpstart by Carol Chambers. Very cool. All right, final question. All right, name a band director who's crushing it right now. Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many people that I love. So up in Northern Virginia, Kathleen Jacoby has this amazing program that I am in awe of. And so I love seeing what she's doing. In our area, I have been so impressed with Candace Flake, which is part of the reason why I asked her to come work with me because she is just brilliant at all times. Gosh, there's so many. I can't even prioritize. I'm sorry, there's too many. You're all wonderful. And all my <laughs> District 5 people, I can't choose between you guys. I can't. Hi, Claire. Tiffany Hits. I have to start there. And then Katrina Tangshit Sumran. What, what do you appreciate about their teaching? They both teach middle school, which I think is honestly harder than what we do. Like starting kids successfully and making them whole musicians and whole people. And they're like the students coming out of their programs are just such good people and such good musicians. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everyone for coming today. This has been really enjoyable. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us on the Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light.